tired. So tired. Overtired. Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra. We're, we're, we're on Overtired. This is me with Christina Warren. I cannot do these intros. How are you, Christina? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Brett? Why don't I just write this down and read it? I'm not sure, but like you it's should. Three, it's three things. It's me, it's you, it's Overtired. It shouldn't be exactly. so complicated. Like, hi, welcome to Overtired. I'm Brett Terpstra. She's Christina Warren. That's, Yeah. I don't, I should just, I should stop even trying and you should just permanently do the intro. I actually think that's probably the correct idea. That's probably best. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, my mind freezes right as soon as the, as soon as the intro music ends, my mind just goes like into a blank slash panic mode. Anyway, how have you been this week? Well, okay. Um, I'm, I've been good. I have I have a yarn to tell uh, what's, what's becoming kind of a, a typical thing for us where, you know, like it's becoming a segment, which is who is Christina pissed off this week on the Internet? <laughs> but it's a good one. Um, but before I get into that, and it involves the creator of the QCAT. Oh, my. Yeah. Uh, which uh, we found out what, what, what he's doing. And um, <laughs> wow. I can't wait to hear. Wow. But yeah, but, but let's, uh, before that, let, let's hit up, um, uh, mental health corner first. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, can I go first? I obviously, I think I went manic this morning and we've talked about how much I kind of missed yet, yet was yeah. scared. Like I don't want to be manic, but I've gotten so much done today. Uh, <laughs> But what's happening, like I had a psychiatrist appointment yesterday and I mentioned that I didn't think my Vyvanse was working anymore and we uh, settled on trying a, a new stimulant. Uh, we're going to try the XR version of Focalin. And Focalin right. has worked really well for me in the past, but last time I tried it, it sent me into a manic episode. So I assumed that it was the Focalin's fault. Turns out, like I... I didn't pick up my new prescription until noon today, and I won't start taking it until tomorrow morning, but I'm already manic. It has nothing to do with Focalin. It has to do with the excitement of thinking I'm going to be able to get back to work. Every time I like have a rough time working, and then uh, the, uh, there's a solution on the horizon, I get excited, and then my brain just takes that all the way to fucking manic um so that's where i'm at right now <laughs> how are you doing i'm doing pretty good i don't know i i i i've struggled i my mental health definitely struggled a lot in 2020 and i'm hoping that it'll be better in 2021 but this is my first week back at work today as we're recording this actually my first day back and that's been interesting and it was difficult to be totally honest. It was one of those things where I had to take an extra day yesterday because I was just like, I can't mentally go back to work and I don't have any problems at my job. Right. Like, yeah, I, I don't, it's not like I'm, you know, want to quit my job or, or, or hate that or anything. It's just kind of my general malaise and hating everything that kind of makes, you know, there's like anxiety and, other stuff involved that just makes even the process of just being like, okay, I got to go back to the grind after two weeks ish off, you know, like 
struggle with that. So, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sad to hear that you're manic, but at the same time, I know that you kind of were like feeling like you needed that again. Um, I'm also glad that, cause we talked about this last week that you're at least getting your meds. Yeah. Cause I know you were worried about that. Yeah. So I actually got these meds like four, four or five days after I got my Vyvanse refilled. So I turned in my Vyvanse and got these meds. So flawless transition there. Very cool. They make you turn them in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If they switch your meds or you get a new prescription, you have to turn in whatever's left. For real? Oh, yeah. Don't you? I I, I guess it's been so long since I switched um, something like my Dextrine, although... No, when I mean, again, though, this was this was a long time ago, but last time I tried Vyvanse, it certainly was not one of those things where I was asked to surrender my Dexedrine. And when I went back, I was certainly not asked to surrender my Vyvanse. Oh, wow. That absolutely is required. And my uh, psychiatrist, the uh, clinic has a policy that they can ask their patients at any time to bring in their remaining meds for a count just to make sure no one's abusing anything. Oh, that makes sense. Now, is this like a legal like requirement from the state? Is this I something that like so. your doctor does? I mean, well, listen, well, and I'm, I'm, I mean, regardless, I'm, it could be one of those things that like insurance, the pharmacy or whoever could, could get mad about. But I guess in my case, especially since my doctor is out of state, he just mails me my scripts. Um, he would definitely not ask me to give mine back, I think, unless there was a concern about something. So like- in my case, they put a note on the new prescription that says uh, that I have to turn in my meds at the pharmacy in order to get the refill. Interesting. Which okay. your doctor could totally do, but if he's not yeah. required to, it never hurts to have extras on hand. I've learned from if, if those times when my doctor fails to come through for me, If I had a stash to like keep, like to make it through a three Uh or four day period, that would, that could make the difference between going manic and not. Yeah, no, I was going to say I have a stash and I, yep, like, yep. Lucky you. That's not going to happen for me. Um, I'm, well, I mean. When my shrink inevitably retires, and I bet that'll be sooner rather than later, uh, I will. I will join the really like difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's that's when everything went wrong for me. Is when my shrink of like nine years retired, and then I had that couple years without meds because everything went to hell when I lost the the guy who knew me and understood me and had like been hands-on with my medications for almost a decade just took off and yeah, everything went very poorly after that. No, I mean, and and I mean, that's the worst, honestly, because like people don't understand. Actually, it's interesting, but I was part of a Twitter conversation earlier today because people were talking about like, if you have a primary care physician, people are like, who has that? And a lot of us were kind of chiming in and being like, yeah, we have insurance. We have all these other things. It's like, what the hell's a primary care physician? 
Um, I, the closest I have to that is my shrink. But the reality is, is even when you have specialists, even when you have like consistent insurance or whatever, and you're not switching jobs a lot or whatever, it's difficult as we've talked about for years on this podcast to find people who are good and who know you and who understand. And, um, yeah, so. Yeah. I have a primary care physician that I've seen. I see him about once a year. I get like a physical or my cholesterol and blood pressure checked. Uh, but I first time I saw him, I said, can I put you down as my primary care physician? And he said, yes. And he's been mine ever since, even though I never go see him. Yeah, that was kind of a, the, the case with somebody who I had um, uh, for, for a while. And then they left the place that I was going. And so I, I need to find another one now. But yeah. Can I tell you about my kitten? You can. Oh, my God. My... <laughs> So Bod is unfathomably cute, and she just started growing into her face. Have you ever seen a long-haired kitten? I don't know. They they have this mane, and then taking up about a quarter of their mane is their tiny little face with big eyes and and their pink nose, and the rest of it it's just like it's like um the monster from Monsters Inc. The Actually, what's oh yeah, that? I'm, I'm looking. I'm I'm uh I'm I'm looking at this now. Oh my gosh! What's the the phone company that has monsters for their commercials? Uh, a mobile carrier like not Mint Mobile. Um, I forget. Anyway, there's a character on there that reminds me a lot of Bod. Um, but she's finally like over the last couple of weeks has started growing into her face, and she it, I. I will miss her being a kitten, but she's so unfathomably cute now. I have every reason to believe she's going to make the best looking adult cat. That's awesome. I love that. You I need to see photos. I hope she doesn't okay, that die went, young. That went dark super quick. Well, so I'm still in a place where I have this level of because guilt. Of Finnegan? Yeah, like... I feel like I should still be mourning Finnegan, and yet I have this new kitten that I love to death. And there's this conflict that happens for me where I feel guilty for not still being completely in mourning. And I, it's, I wrestle with it. Like, I, I do mourn for Finnegan, and that is a, a tragedy in my life. Yeah. But also, I love Bod. I'm glad Bod showed up. Well, I mean, that's the thing, right? I mean, I think that, I think that's normal. I think most people, when they lose someone, if, when you feel any sense of moving on, you feel like, oh, I should still be yeah. upset. But it's like, at the same time, what good does that do? It's not like being happy about something else negates the fact that you were in pain or are in pain about something. It just means that you've been able to emotionally get to a place where that's not all consuming you. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I guess so. That's what my therapist says. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a good thing. So, um, I, I'm I'm happy to hear that that Bod is uh, continuing to be cute. How is uh how how are, uh, is uh, she and the other cat? How is that going? Um, we're still isolating them. Uh, today, I will get a package from Amazon that will have pheromones, uh, like a plug-in thing that. Uh, emits the pheromones that cats mark things with when they're comfortable. 
Okay. That's supposed to help ease transitions for households with multiple cats. So once we have that up, then I have to rig up some kind of screen uh, so that they can eat their meals and see each other without actually going into each other's territory. The problem being Bod can climb just about anything. So I either need a floor to ceiling screen Mm-hmm. Or I need to come up with some cool contraption with paper and cardboard that she can't uh, climb over the top of. I have to make like a a border wall for her. I was gonna say this. This is seeming, and which actually is 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 a good um, segue into uh, uh, Christina pisses people off on the internet. But yeah, you need to you need to come up with some sort of border wall situation, some sort of prison wall situation for Bod. It seems like. Yeah. Um, So speaking of um, grieving over kittens and mental health and all of these things we've just been talking about, and I even mentioned therapy just now, Mm -hmm. I would like to introduce uh, one of our sponsors for this week. We've talked about them before. I've been talking for a while about how therapy has been really good for me and uh, working with my ADHD and just for life in general. And the way I've been getting my therapy is through BetterHelp. BetterHelp is professional therapy available remotely. You fill out a detailed questionnaire and they match you with a professional therapist that's right for you, licensed in the state where you live and ready to start in under 24 hours. You get to connect in a safe and private online environment uh, and in whatever way works for you with phone or video, video calls or just text messaging. This isn't some kind of self-help, it's professional counseling. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional counseling, and financial aid is available in many areas. There are counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anger, LGBT matters, ADHD, grief, sleep, trauma, just about any specific need you have. Uh, and I'm sure overtired listeners can, I feel like we, we cross-segment, there's a Venn diagram there. Uh, of those topics that we can cover with our audience. Um, And of course, anything you share is completely confidential. I'm bizarrely open and honest on my podcast and my blog. Uh, So I've never thought that I had that much that I couldn't talk about. But it's turned out that I have a lot of things that I don't bring up to just anyone. Uh, Things that have come out that I've been able to get off my chest. And it's been great to have the outlet. So start living a happier life today. As an overtired listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting our sponsor at betterhelp.com overtired. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash overtired. Thanks, BetterHelp. It's been great. Thank you, BetterHelp. So... Yeah, let's move on to um, a QCAT discussion. Yeah, okay. So last week, there was this insane hearing in the Georgia State Senate about the election. And people testified about whether the vote was, you know, uh, once again, trying to offer proof that the vote was uh, stolen, which, you know, is bullshit, and in which the three state audits have proven is completely inaccurate. And as the the phone call that I think we might talk about uh, that leaked, which was kind of stunning, an hour long phone call between the Secretary of State 
and um, the president and his uh, soon to be, you know, former president, but uh, still as of today, uh, president of the United States and his chief of staff, where he was basically all but kind of quasi threatening them to just find a way to make the votes count and to just, you know, restate who won the election. Um, So they had this insane hearing and, and this guy in this hearing was brought up as this tech expert. And his name is Jovan Hutton Pulitzer. It's not his his real name. He changed his name, but but that's what he goes by now. And he was talking about how he can use some sort of kinetic um, or kinematic, uh, you know, like um, a, a method of ascertaining whether the ballots were real or fake and where they were printed and whether humans filled them out or, or um, you know, computers and, and all this other stuff. And he talked about how he has all these patents that are used on billions of devices all over the world. And he's this expert in all these different areas. And then he also claimed during the hearing that he successfully hacked into one of the um, voting machines in Fulton County. Okay. So I'm watching this. And, 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 and this guy just, you know, all of my red flags go off. I'm like, who the hell is this guy? And it was like, I don't know, two o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning. And so I started doing some Googling and, uh, I'm just going to read you my Twitter thread, a brief thread on Jovan Hutton Pulitzer, the crazy con man who is now claiming to have hacked into the Georgia voting machines in Fulton County. 90s kids and tech aficionados might remember Jovan as the inventor of the QCAT, the dumbest gadget of all time. <laughs> Do you remember the QCAT, Brett? I still have one. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, for anyone who wants to claim that Jovan Hutton Pulitzer, um, not his re- given name, but one he changed legally at the QCAT debacle, invented QR codes, he did not. Like that other right-wing crazy man who claimed to have invented email, Jovan did not invent QR codes because this was a big thing that he's been claiming. He's like, I invented QR codes. No, you invented the QCAT. QR codes were invented by the Japanese about six years before the QCAT came out. Um, And you have a patent that they're – from other research I've done, there was some actually validity even at the time, some some claims that it might have infringed upon something about scanning – uh, a certain proprietary code and it going to a website, but you didn't invent QR codes. Uh, I'll continue for my thread. He did invent the QCAT, a product that somehow raised $185 million for a tethered barcode scanner for magazines and newspapers so you could get ads from your ads. As I said, the dumbest product of all time. Good backup barcode scanners after they were hacked, however. Oh, that's another thing. When QCAT was a thing, its systems were hacked. I guess that's what makes Jovan a security expert. His bankrupt company from 20 years ago was hacked and widely mocked. He's a genius. In recent years, Jovan pivoted to being a treasure hunter who was featured on and widely mocked on Curse of Oak Island because the man is insane. This is true. He actually pivoted to becoming a treasure hunter who claimed to have found a Roman sword in Nova Scotia and that he was on the verge of finding the Ark of the Covenant. I mm-hmm. wish I was making this up. Um, <laughs> anyway, this is the man, I'll finish up my thread, that, that uh, Rudy and the gang are claiming as a tech and security expert uh, These at these Georgia hearings. Someone at Gizmodo or at Burge needs to blog this because this is hilarious. Um, his LinkedIn wants you to know that he's taken free online classes at Harvard and Stanford. <laughs> so have I. 
Yeah. Also, I found an interview with him where he blames Mark Cuban being mean about QCAT for his wife divorcing him. He also made some insane claims about Walt Mossberg that I won't dignify. Um, but he seriously, this is the guy who is Rudy's tech expert. This is how official, this is um, uh, now officially hilarious. Someone please blog this. Well, The Verge did blog it. Thank you. Thank you, The Verge, as did Gizmodo. Thank you, Gizmodo. And um, it, it went uh, more viral than I assumed that it would. Um, the 1.4 thousand likes, 496 retweets, 205 quote tweets, and a whole bunch of activity from both people who are sane and, and remember the QCAD and thought this whole thing was hilarious, as well as people who are, you know, flat out crazy and believe all the nonsense that this guy has spouted, who were calling me every name in the book and, and sending me gross emails and with their real phone numbers, which smart. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just claiming that, that I'll never be as successful as this guy to, to which I think I glibly responded to one. Well, at least I have a Wikipedia page. Um, the joke there being that not that I have a Wikipedia page because who cares? That's irrelevant. But this guy so badly wanted a Wikipedia page that he created like three or four different sock puppet accounts <laughs> to try to get himself one. And when that didn't work, he created like, I'm not even joking, like five different websites, um, like just like Blogspot or WordPress blogs, where he tries to maintain his own hagiography of, of why he's relevant. This like, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. The QCAT guy, the QCAT guy. Like, this is the thing that was just stunning me. I was like, why? I mean, how is anyone taking anything that he's saying seriously? Also, people kept pointing out to me, well, he has all these patents. That means he's successful. And I'm like, that means nothing. It just means the guy has a ton of free time on his hands because he's never worked another job as far as I can tell. And, um, files patents all day that somehow get approved, even though most of them are idea patents and don't actually have a mechanism for anything. Like he claims he invented responsive design because <laughs> he has a patent that, that for, that doesn't have any mechanism involved, but, but that, that basically says a website will look the same on multiple different types of devices. It's like, Brilliant. yeah, yeah. Genius. Um, I didn't even get into the thing is that people were like accusing me of, of, uh, you know, uh, well, the funny thing is when they're accusing me of slander and I was like, no, it, if anything, it's libel, uh, slander spoken. Um, what I'm doing right now would, 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 would potentially be slander, except that in both libel and slander truth, uh, trumps all of it. So I'm completely fine. Um, but they were like saying, oh, you know, you're, you're, you know, taking cheap shots and da, 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 da. And I'm like, I didn't even get into, uh, and I didn't get into it with these people cause who cares, but I'll, I'll, I'll dish here. I didn't even get into all the insane stuff that this guy has done. Like his, um, life before the QCAT, he was an infomercial producer and he, again, then like got into huge fights with people who laughed at him in the whole treasure hunting community. I mean, just, just let's just think about this for a minute. This guy is so batshit that the treasure hunting community, which is not a community that I'm going to be honest, I think is really all there. Um, that, that the people who uh, participate in and watch a show on history channel about people who think that they can find buried treasure. Even they were like, yeah, this guy's nuts. Yeah. There's like three different topics here, at least. Mm -hmm. Like first we could talk about the Q cat. 
Second, we could talk about like the the political side of the responses. And third, we well obviously we're gonna talk about uh, uh, impeaching Trump again. But yeah, first I I really do. What was the original purpose of the QCAT? Let's let's say what a QCAT is for anyone yeah. who's who's young okay. enough to not know. Sure. So it was a barcode scanner that um, was actually then. I guess, modified so it, it couldn't scan general barcodes. But what it would do is if you had a magazine or a newspaper or uh, or whatever, it would have the special type of code when you were on an ad or accessing an article. And the idea would be rather than typing in a URL, you would take this thing that was connected to your computer using a USB um, or a PS2 cable. You would scan the code. You would have their special software installed. And it would then take you to a website associated with that code. Usually, you know, it's going to be associated with an ad. Sometimes maybe it would be a specific article or something else. But rather than typing in a URL, you would go through this convoluted process of having to scan something into your computer. Um, with a special device. With a special device. And it was widely mocked. Like Walt Mossberg, who this guy has a major hangup on to this day, basically called it, you know, a, a you know, um, a solution searching for a problem and talked about how it was inelegant and that it uh, assumed that you were going to have to be wanting to read whatever you were doing in front of your computer, which made sense. And um, people figured out that it was tracking all of your web browsing behavior. Like you had to give them your address and your name and stuff like that when you got the thing. And it would then kind of track what you were doing. They were hacked. And so databases of people's activity was leaked and, you know, it was a mess. But the, the, the reason they ran out of money, they raised all this money, like $200 million, which is insane. But then they blew it because they sent these devices out to people for free. So you could go to Radio Shack and get one. You could get like they came with Wired Magazine. I think Forbes had them or you could just like request one and they would just mail them out to people. Uh, they were just assuming that people would just love these things and and would absolutely want to scan all of their ads and and interact with things that way and and that uh, you know the the profits would just soar in that didn't happen people were just like why did i get this thing what am i going to do with it why do i need this thing connected to my computer this is dumb and quickly people figured out how to kind of reverse engineer things to maybe you know clip um certain wires or whatever and to, to, to get it to work with Linux or to make it just a general barcode scanner. And when people did that, like the company threatened to sue them and all kinds of other stuff. It didn't work with Mac. It like had all these issues. Um, and so when the company went bankrupt and, and they like went bankrupt, bankrupt, like chapter seven bankrupt, a uh, library thing bought, I think like a lot of them, cause they still had like over a million of them that were unsent out uh, for like, like one or two cents a piece and has been selling them for the last decade plus for, you know, $10 a pop. And then you could use it with software that you would use to maybe organize your books or your DVDs or, or, or whatever. Um, but the, the general purpose was genuinely stupid. It was like, it's so hard to type in a URL that you have to scan this, this link to do it, which to me, like misses the the next major technical advancement, right? Because on the one hand, you could say, yeah, it is hard to type in these really long URLs, you know, from a magazine. That's really awkward. Well, 
rather than coming up with a solution to type in that URL, maybe you should think about the, what the real solution to that is, which is I'm going to be reading this article on a website and use a hyperlink that will take me to that, that destination. And that the, the print magazine or newspaper that I'm reading is going to go away. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe, just, maybe it's just me, but to me, that seems like if you're really going to be like forward thinking, that's the real thing you should think about, which is, yeah, URL type, to, having to, to type in a long URL is not going to be a problem in the future because people will just click the hyperlink. Can I tell you a secret? You can. I still read Wired on paper. I get a subscription from them on paper because it's cheaper than doing it online, but it's, I- um, It's my bathroom reading. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I get that. and I get Vanity Fair in print. Um, but I think I usually read them like even in PDF form or whatever, like on an iPad. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I reference a lot of wired articles on my computer, but right. I do still read the print version. I yeah. And there's not, nothing however, wrong with that. Ever see an ad that I think, you know what? I want to follow up on this. I need to type in a URL. Uh -huh. If, uh, if, if a company has branded at all well, has any kind of reasonable URL, uh, it has never been something where I thought, I wish I had a device that could get me right. from this page to their website. Exactly. Or, you know, even in the case of, okay, you like to, you still like the, the, the print experience, which is fine. If there was something that was like linked in that, that you wanted to check out when you're opening up your web browser, what makes more sense having to like track down that URL, which may or may not be that long, or, um, I don't know, just going to the website for that article and clicking the link. I can't remember what the app was called, but there was a really good, like library app for Mac. Delicious could, library. Yes. Delicious yeah, library. That, yeah. That was great. And that was actually, I think I bought one of those QCATs that yep. had been declawed and that's what I used it for. Yep. That is exactly why I own one. I'm seeing if there's still a web page because the app's gone, isn't it? I mean, I think it's technically still around, but I oh, think it's on like it support. It's on the, on the Mac app store. Huh? I thought it died years ago. Well, I mean, I think it basically did. I think that it's basic. I don't think it's basically been updated. Um, like if you went to delicious monsters website, it still looks like it's, 2009. Um, I mean, I, I, I did kind of like, like feel bad for them a little bit because Apple completely ripped off the design with the first iBooks. Do you remember that? Yep. Totally. Um, they but, also like the, one of the major breakthroughs of delicious library was their, um, scanning uh, yep. kind of technology like it could read a barcode so fast you wouldn't even have time to hold it up yep like it would just be done and i don't know if you've noticed but apple has gotten that down like if you go to scan in the back of your uh like itunes gift card mm -hmm. before you even get it up to the screen it's already done like it's yeah no it's good it and solved it and like when they first started doing that there was talk that they had sherlocked uh, some of delicious libraries capabilities there. No, without a doubt. And I think the big thing for them was at one point they had some sort of partnership with, with Amazon or something where you could, you know, like search for things within 
Amazon or they try to get affiliate links or whatever. And Amazon shut that down. I don't remember all the all the um, rare roll now, but it's been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. But yeah, the app the app was was a thing. I guess it's apparently still updated for Big Sur, which you know that's that's cool. It still has a four star rating. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, it's one of those things that I, I mean, I haven't used it in in years. Um, and I think it's you know such a niche thing. Um, <laughs> it was great for cataloging all, all your hard copy books. That, that are becoming a rarity themselves. Yeah, no, exactly. Right. I mean, and it, it was it was great design. Like, I think it, the design actually kind of helped inform a certain era of, of Mac development, which yeah. I really appreciate. But yeah, but but regardless, like I said, my thread, I'm like, yeah, so there's the secondary market for this device. Yeah. But the original purpose was a colossal failure. And the company went out of business hard. Like, I, you know, the guy obviously must be a good bullshit artist because he was able to convince all these companies, um, most of which are now extinct, like Radio Shack, to to give him lots and lots of money. But I mean, it's just the dumbest freaking idea. In fact, I think I, I will, and, and and the reason I stand by saying it's the dumbest, I think the devices cost them like six fifty a piece to make, and they they made like you know a couple million of them and mailed them out to people. Uh, and yeah, it's like okay, that yeah, you're gonna blow through all of your, your funding that way. Um, especially if you don't have anything else to kind of, you know, pick up with it. And it's, it's, um, the only device I would say might have been dumber, but I'll give this one a slight benefit of the doubt because Sony did actually mail me a check with my money back. Um, was there was this stupid Sony device. I I'm going to try to think of the name of it, um, to add to the show notes, um, after the episode, but I'm not gonna be able to think of it right now, but it was this stupid device where they had this web server that monitored radio stations all over the country. And so the the problem they were trying to solve is what song is playing on the radio right now? And this is before radio stations were digital and before like in-car systems would have, you know, like a, a scrolling sure. marquee of what song was playing. And so you'd click on this device and it was basically a timestamp. And the other end was a USB and you'd plug it into the USB and it would take the timestamp and it would compare it with the Arbitron stuff or whatever was on Sony's website. <laughs> and it would tell you on this station, this was the song that was playing. But you, but, but there were a couple of problems. Like there were only a couple of stations that you could have dedicated as your favorites and, you know, could only store a certain number of the, these time codes. But it was a really kind of simplistic thing, but it was like 20 bucks. And I bought one because a friend had one. This was, this was 2000. And I used it a few times because at first I thought it was maybe more impressive than it was. I think when my friend showed me, I'd assumed that it was maybe like a Shazam type of thing. It was not a Shazam type of thing. It was literally a timestamp that was then just querying, you know, logs of radio station playlists and and coming back with results. Um, Sony very quickly realized that this was dumb and sent emails uh, or, you know, and I wound up getting something in the mail to everybody who bought it and was like, we're discontinuing this. Here's a $20 check for your money back. Like yeah. they act, but so the reason I will say, cause like in theory, I will actually say that's a dumber thing than the QCAT. <laughs> but the reason I say that it's not was because Sony actually refunded my money. And as I recall, like I didn't have to do anything other than after I'd registered it the first time I got a check in the mail. Like it was one of those things and it, and it was actual cash. It wasn't like a gift certificate or anything like that. Like they actually like sent me a check in the mail. Cause I remember this cause I was in 11th grade and I was like, okay, um, thanks. <laughs> so 
yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, the QCAT, really, really dumb. I wound up like just doing hard research on how dumb this guy is. But yeah, we should talk about the the political side of this because the fact that th- these are the people that they can get to show proof um, of, of, you know. Um, yeah. That these are like, the experts that they hinge everything on. Right. So it, about this call. Um, I, I watched, uh, I'll link, there was a legal Eagle. Um, you ever watched that guy? I love him. He's awesome. Um, he's so good, but he did a thing on the Georgia call and whether or not it was criminal and B whether it could be impeachable. And, uh, it was yes to both. Uh, he does really good research and was able to list all of the statutes that that call potentially broke. Um, but, uh, in the Slate article about this, uh, this infamous, already infamous, after a couple of days, uh, Georgia call, they did mention, quote, in the unlikely event that Congress were to make him the first president ever to be impeached twice, and impeachments can happen even after elected officials leave office, then he could be disqualified from running for high office again in the future. And that's why I think we should impeach the fucker again, right quick. Yeah, no, I agree. If, if that actually is like, if, if that would actually stand with the president of the United States, that they would say, okay, if the president of the United States is impeached again, then he will um, not be able to run again. Like if it's out of office, I'm, I'm in favor of that. I think that part of me, I think my general kind of malaise against any of that is that I worry that it'll just be yet another distraction that still focuses attention on him when I would actually rather us just get to a place as quickly as possible where we don't even talk about him, where he's not part of the conversation, where his every move is not part of the news cycle. Right. Because until, I think until 2024, when he comes back again, well, and, and again, if we, could, if we could dedicate just enough more mind space to make I sure mean, he can't run again, I'd be way well, happier. If, I mean, I would too. I just, I, I think it's going to depend on like the Senate makeup because right now we wouldn't get the votes to impeach him. It would be like right. what happened before. So if you're not going to be able to successfully do it, I don't think you should bother. And the reason I say that is because again, I just feel like that prolongs us talking about him when I would like to get to the point where and and I think this is I think I mentioned this before. I would really like the media to be in a place where when he's no longer president, everything he says and does is no longer a news story. And I and think I think we are already getting like you see like he still comes up way more frequently than he should, but there's a definite sense of peace around like we can just talk about boring old Joe Biden now. Right. No, totally. And, and, and I, and I agree with that. And I also feel like if he's just threatening to run or whatever, like that's not newsworthy. And until a campaign really kicks off, which would be late 2023 at the earliest, I feel like the media should just take it upon themselves to be like, this is not viable stuff that we need to be reporting on right now. Just ignore it. Um, this is an old man shouting at his television. Completely, completely. You know, I unfortunately do not agree with some people tend to believe in, and I hope they're right. I hope I'm wrong that he will be, you know, banned from Twitter. I don't think that's going to happen. No, that's not going to happen. Uh, I, I don't think that Twitter has the balls to do that once he's not president anymore. I just don't think they do. 
but I feel like as soon as the microscope is off of him and he's not getting and, and you're right it, it has been less and less of, of him being covered but as soon as like you know he's no longer the focal point and center of attention that's that's to me you're always going to have your zealots and and your populace who are going to love the guy but it it makes it a lot harder for him to be part of the conversation and, and to be part of the discourse so um have you seen the twitter account parlor takes speaking of uh, banning trump um i have not but i've I've seen the the subreddit um that is similar um but i'm now going to cover i'm now going to follow rather the the parlor takes twitter account that's great because because i've wanted to i've i've been curious about parlor but i've i think we've talked about this i refuse to give them my phone number yeah and i I don't even and i don't even want to give them a google voice number no like i don't want i don't want anything that could be associated with my actual identity to go there so this this Twitter account has kind of uh, I've let go of the idea of like trolling parlor and yeah. I just follow parlor takes on Twitter and their bio is simply I look at parlor so you don't have to and they basically kind of track the uh the crazy on parlor and show they <laughs> parlor apparently has downvotes instead of just <laughs> likes it has downvotes which accounts like parlor takes can use to see what the most tr- most trollish things on parlor are like it's like an automatic identifier for this th- these are the things that most piss off parlor users um but yeah it's it's there's a lot of crazy there's a lot of uh a lot of uh conspiracy theories i think that i if people would leave twitter and go to parlor and isolate themselves there i i think i'm fine with it uh, if if Trump decided that Parler was more worth his time than Twitter, I'd be fine with it. Uh, but mm-hmm. I don't think Twitter's going to force that to happen. Uh, no, I don't think so either. And the subreddit, by the way, is called Parler Watch, which is a similar thing, um, which I appreciate. Yeah. Anyway, fuck Trump. Um, <laughs> I'm so I'm so happy that we're almost over this. This whole thing is almost over. This ride is almost over. Uh, as of the time this comes out, Georgia will be voting mm-hmm. on their runoff elections. I I really I hope they come through. I don't I don't love the Democrats these days or probably for the last 40 years, but um having them completely hamstrung again by Mitch McConnell is not going to make any forward progress at all. So right. I, I do hope that we can get at least a, a vice president tipped majority in the Senate and we can have four years of actually like trying to push legislation. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And I, um, I'm not confident that Georgia is going to be able to pull it out. Yeah. I think, I feel like we, I feel like we might get one. Yeah, that um, doesn't help. It's got it's, I know. it's all or nothing. Come on, Georgia. I know. But I I um sadly I lived there for too long to really have a lot of hope. But you know what? I was wrong about the presidential election. Yeah. I never thought that Georgia would go for Biden. So I mean, still goddamn close. But yeah, I mean, c- considering everyone's impression of how Georgia would vote, very surprising. Yeah, I just see this in the New- on the New York Times. Tyler Perry didn't get his absentee ballot, so he flew home to Georgia to vote in person. <laughs> Good man, Tyler Perry. Um, 
That's what I've always said about Tyler Perry. Good man. And thorough. Yeah. Also (laughs) rich as fuck because he owned a lot of the the studios that uh, all the film companies are in out now. He built first before all the tax breaks brought all the other, you know, uh, production uh, companies Mm. there. So (laughs) MoFo is is like Medea. Medea got paid. Like, nice. yeah. Um, so speaking of Twitter stuff, did, did, is this now maybe we want to talk about uh, uh, Roderick? Yeah, I guess we should because that kind of it fits into the theme. Yeah. Bean Dad. I'll, I'll tell this story the way I understand it. Um, okay. John Roderick, uh, who we both love, uh, we know him from many different places formerly with the long winters and actually still maybe um and roderick on the line and apparently he has some like more mainstream podcasts that he does that i don't even follow but he's been a guest he did a four-part series on systematic with me i he's a good guy i he's a good guy i've met him a number of times and yeah but uh i don't know exactly when this happened Uh, i didn't hear about it till this morning he he tweeted a long, a tweet storm. What do they call those these days? A, a thread. thread. A yep. thread. Um, he tweeted a thread about how he, his his daughter had wanted uh, beans, uh, uh, baked beans. And he found out that she didn't know how to open a can. So he started teaching her how to open a can. And they decided that, or he decided they wouldn't eat until she could open the can. And it took her six hours to learn how to open a can, at which point they ate. And he tweeted this as like a, a dumb dad story. Right. Um, it didn't go over well with Twitter. Uh, it, no. it triggered a, a lot of people's uh, kind of abuse detectors. And uh, people immediately uh, saw him as a, a, an abusive parent and uh that went viral like uh, all over the news uh hashtag bean dad um and then people started digging up old tweets of his yep that came across as homophobic and anti-semitic and, and racist yeah and so i will link his kind of his apology he in the meantime uh, gut reaction deleted his Twitter account entirely, uh, went off the grid. Uh, then it, I think yesterday published an apology post kind of explaining his take on things. And it, 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 his, his apology makes perfect sense to me. Like everything he says rings true for me. I think people would have to read it for themselves to decide, but uh, like as far as the old tweets go, he he, he had this uh, hipster persona that he thought he was woke enough that he could casually mock racism, sexism, homophobia, and and use the language of the uh, disenfranchised groups to to be an ally. But yeah. out of context, those absolutely come across as him just being those things. Right. So I, I'm not, I can't justify it. Like that was stupid. They're, no, they're it was. And 
yeah, I, I'm I'm not going to justify any of the the, the language that that he used, and and I'm not even going to justify it by saying at the time Twitter was a different place or any of that because it wasn't. Like it's never okay in my opinion to use the N word ever, right? Um, in any context, um, like I, if you're a white person, it's just not like, uh, you know, when when you read it in in in, in, you know, books and magazines and things of that nature. Okay. Whatever. But like to, to use it in a tweet, even, even if it's with whatever the context is, it's just, it's not okay. And, and the other stuff he said, even knowing the context, it's like, yeah, that's, that was edgy to, for, for the sake of being edgy. And, and it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, um, age well, but even then, you know, I think it'd be one of those things that like, I wouldn't have used those words then. But that said, I, I do know him and I know what his intentions were and it doesn't change um, the fact that the people could be offended by it. But I think to me, what bothers me, and I, I'm curious on your take on this, I read his apology and it's not, look, it's not up to me to accept it or not because I'm not somebody that he harmed. Um, but I am bothered by the disingenuousness of people searching through, this is similar to the James Gunn thing where you know people will, will, be, will be mad at somebody about something and will then search through their past to find a reason to justify their anger about this one thing. Yeah. And, and then to retroactively, without any sense of context, without anything else, take them down. And as somebody who you know has had people come after my job, come after me in lots of ways because of something I tweeted, fuck white people, which I stand by, um, years later, when the context what you know for for a completely different purpose to to because they were mad that I congratulated somebody on getting the job like I have some sympathy for that and and obviously what's happened to me is is way less than what's happened to so many other people but you know I I've, I've had that experience and and I'm somebody who tries to be thoughtful to the point where I'm like I've searched through past tweets and like tried to make sure that you know if you search for certain words or certain things that like nothing is going to come up um, and, and usually that's pretty easy. Cause I don't tend to say, um, like stuff that would rankle those sorts of things. There's just certain words and phrases that I'm, I'm not going to use online, um, or in my, my personal life. Um, so I, I've been lucky that way, but I'm bothered when people will go through somebody's entire history again, to like confirm their reason for being outraged. I also, I'm really bothered by like, look, do I, did I think that the bean tweet storm was funny to be honest? No, I thought that it, it, it seemed fake. It seemed like elongated, you know, telling this yarn that at first I think people like were enjoying it, at least in the sense that I got, cause I saw it after it was deleted, but at least looking at the, the like count and things like that of each thing, it, it seemed like it was playing well at first. And then people got, you know, quote unquote triggered and reading the whole thread. Look, I'm, I haven't been abused and I'm not trying to speak, you know, over any people who have, but if reading a thread from this sort of persona of somebody is going to take you into a place where you're saying this is child abuse when someone is being performative on Twitter for likes and is trying purposely to be like folksy. And I don't think it played that well. I don't think it was that entertaining, but it certainly didn't strike me in any way as abusive. Yeah. Like, I feel like taking it to that place is just a complete and like ridiculous overstatement. And, and moreover, I feel like it, it discredits actual abuse. Like, I feel like 
You know what I mean? Well, that's like, the thing is uh, he he acknowledged in his his apology that the language that he used for people who had actually been victims of abuse or even currently are victims of abuse, the language that he used did it was triggering. Uh, and if you've been there, it it's not hard to send you back there. So I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess my only thing is, I think a lot of the people and a lot of the discourse around that were not from people who are victims or were victims of abuse, but by people who are just taking it upon themselves well, to say this is triggering. Viral Twitter threads. I agree with that, but but this is my point. I'm like, I, I feel like you can say that, but I mean, I'm looking at that, and I just, I feel like the most of the people who are outraged don't even have a direct reason themselves to be outraged. They're just outraged for outrage's sake. And that honestly does bother me. And I feel like it, it, to me, like it makes it the whole thing, the whole discourse blowing up for a lot of people, I think just makes it eye roll worthy, which to me, this then like makes actual abuse lessened by using this as a comparative point. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I don't really have a lot more to say about it. I think that Twitter justice is almost always misguided. Mm -hmm. uh, public shaming uh, fails to understand any nuance at all. Uh, like for myself, uh, if you were to dig back in my tweets, like I've never, I'm not homophobic, racist, sexist. I'm none of these things. But when I have... When, I, when my follower count was smaller and I felt like everyone knew me and I felt right. free to be sarcastic, um, I'm sure I, I haven't looked, but I'm sure there there's at least one tweet that if you don't know me and you don't know that I'm kidding and you don't take it as sarcastic, it could probably make me look bad. Uh, challenge to overtired listeners, dig up some shit on me. Uh, see if you can get me fired. Good yeah. luck. Yeah, no, I mean, I have to say with this, all, all this stuff happens, and this happens, you know, several times a year with people is it just makes me think, and I haven't done it frankly out of like internal spite, but it does make me think, no, I should just archive and then delete all my tweets. And, and part of me, what I would kind of like to do, I mean, this would people, if they, it, would, it wouldn't stop people from being able to go through anything I've said and try to cancel me or, or, or whatever, but it would make it more difficult for them is that there's been a part of me who's like, okay, I'm going to delete my tweets every three months, but I'll download the archive and then I'll host the archive on my webpage or something so that if people really want, they can search through the JSON file. And then you can sleep well. Yeah, because there's, I don't know, there's, there's like a weird part of me that just hasn't wanted to delete stuff because I'm like, these, this is in a lot of ways kind of my blog and, and kind of my online history and identity. And I don't, I don't have to delete stuff just because people don't know the context or, or when I get mad at something. But yet I see it happen so frequently that I'm like, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. Like, blow it up. I was actually concerned when I was doing the New York Times podcast. I was concerned for a time. I was like, shit, if something blows up, if I do something, like people will come at me and um, that'll be a problem. Fortunately, nothing happened and everything was okay. But I was at a point where I was like, am I going to have to mass delete all my tweets? And I was very seriously considering it. Um, and now I might just do it, you know, just 
again, it's one of those things of like, I don't want to be, I don't want to have to, to, um, have people disingenuously taking things that I've said out of context. And I'm not saying that the stuff that all the stuff that, that, that John said was out of context because there's some of that stuff I'm not going to defend and, and that I wouldn't have tweeted then and that I, I wouldn't tweet now and that he's apologizing for, and he's going to have to deal with, you know, the, the nature of those things. But I think to your point, it's also true that, you know, Twitter, I think the way people have used it has changed. I'm not going to say that like that negates using certain words, but yeah, you're right. Like we did a decade ago, use it in this way that was smaller, more insular and, and you felt like everybody who followed you or who saw you knew you. And that's not the case anymore. And um, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I don't uh, begrudge any public figure uh, of however public you want to call that. And even, you know, it's like trickling down to people like you and I from being like, yeah, I don't have time for this. I'm going to delete all my tweets. Fuck it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to hear from our second sponsor? I do. And then I want to hear about um, email. Oh shit. Yeah. Um, so we talk a lot on this show about sleep. Uh, we actually often talk about the lack of it. But there's one thing that has been helping me get a lot better sleep, and that's my Helix mattress. Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete, and it matches your body type and sleep preferences to the mattress perfect for you. Mattresses aren't a one-size-fits-all type of thing, and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-size folks. I took the quiz, and I was matched with the Midnight mattress because I wanted something that felt medium and I sleep on my side. And uh, after a few months of sleeping on it, I can tell you that I absolutely made the right choice. My previous mattress was one of the other ones that comes in a box, but it was too soft for me and I had to add gel layers to it just to stop from sweating. My Helix mattress, on the other hand, is exactly the right firmness for me and it stays cool all night with no extra help. I've been sleeping really well. Helix is awesome, but you don't have to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. So if you're looking for a mattress, take the quiz, order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress will come right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Just go to helixsleep.com overtired, take the two-minute sleep quiz, and get matched to your mattress. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but honestly, I, I'm, I'm quite sure you will. If you use our link, Helix is offering overtired listeners up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. So just go to helixsleep.com overtired. I swear you won't regret it. I'm sorry you don't have a Helix mattress to talk about, Christina. I'm sorry I don't either because I could use a new mattress. So thank you, Helix. Maybe if we uh, sponsored them really well, they'll send you one. I mean, that would be awesome. I, I seriously love mine. That's, that's awesome. I'm really happy for you. That's fantastic. Uh, I'm glad that you have a place to get like good sleep because that is kind of the point of the show. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. Um, yeah. So I, I, I've been collecting email addresses for 
both marked and NV Ultra uh, with the intention of sending out uh, mass emails. And uh, I've gotten up to each list respectively. I've passed the 10,000 mark and I had been collecting them via MailChimp who I will note has never been a sponsor of this show, and I'm free to say what I want to. Not that I've ever let that stop me. But anyway, like I couldn't afford to send an email to all of these subscribers. I couldn't afford to send one single email if I had to pay out of pocket up front. And so I started looking for alternatives. And uh, uh, I had a guest on Systematic, uh, Tyler Hall, who pointed me to Sendy. And the, an email that would have cost me uh, about $250 to send with MailChimp, I can send with Sendy for about a buck 25. That's awesome. I'm really curious to hear your experience about this because I've been looking, I've looked at Sendy, I've looked at some of the other uh, services. There's one called like Octopus or something. Um, I've been, because I've been wanting to start a newsletter and I'll probably just use Substack, but then part of me is like, I don't want to fucking use Substack. So, um, I've looked at Cindy, which is like a, a self-hosted kind of front end for SES, which is Amazon's email thing, right? Yep, correct. Um, what has your experience been like in terms of spam or uh, like like you getting marked as spam or undeliverables or, or any of that stuff? I'm curious about since you moved from, you know, MailChimp to this, have you had any any issues? Okay, so to be clear, I sent my first email yesterday and uh, just finished updating my list today. So I don't have a ton of data to work from. I can tell you that uh, one of my lists uh, dates back 10 years. So I sent out a, a short email saying, hey, it, I'm just checking to see if you still want to receive emails. Uh, click here to unsubscribe. And that has gotten me... I mean, a fair number of people unsubscribed because they hadn't heard from me for 10 years and forgot who I was. But um, as far as bounced emails go, uh, 312 out of 12,000. And my uh, spam rate is 0.002%. So I, it seems pretty good to me. No, that's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, like and setting up the hosting took about uh, if you have any idea how to edit a config file and mm -hmm. and FTP some a folder, uh, it takes five minutes to get it set up and it costs seventy dollars one time no subscription, and it has an awesome interface like it, it's it's an easier to use interface by far than Mailchimp's, like it's better built simpler maybe maybe lacking i maybe maybe there are parts of mailchimp i wasn't using but as far as i can tell it does everything mailchimp could do and it does it after you pay your 70 bucks for like a, a buck per send that's awesome that's awesome yeah um i've I, yeah i've definitely like looked at this because mailchimp prices or, or any of the email uh hosts for whether you're doing transactional or uh, newsletter kind of email stuff, the pricing is insane. And yeah. it's the markup is crazy. And, and like, there used to be some certain services you could use, like Twilio bought Mailgun and ruined their free plan. And, you know, there are all these things and you're like, I just want to send some damn email. Like, don't, don't charge me all of this money for it. Um, 
so yeah, so if you were if you were char- so you, if you were spending fifty dollars a month and now you're spending like a dollar twenty five, I mean that's massive. Yeah, like there was this. There's a small list that is just for the Envy Ultra beta crew, and it's uh, about fifteen hundred people, and that went out had zero percent marked as spam. Point zero eight one one email bounced. Uh, we'll figure that out, but. Uh, for it was a small, like recently curated list, but absolutely no problem getting through to people and a 97% open rate. This is good stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very good stuff. I, 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 this is what I've been doing for like two days straight now. So it's all I've been thinking about. Uh, so it's, it's fun to talk about, but I guess there's not much more to say other than if you're doing a mailing list and you have more than 10,000 subscribers get off of MailChimp. This is so much. I, I don't understand why I would ever consider paying hundreds of dollars to send out a, an email campaign. Yeah. I mean, I think that like the, the difference would be, and, and even then it would be worth looking into would be like, if you were some sort of big brand and you were running a B tests and you had some of the other features that MailChimp does and mm. some of the other stuff, like if you had really customized design wise emails that you wanted to test against, you know, a lot yeah. of different services and whatnot. Like, I think that that's where your campaign monitors and your MailChimps and whatever the hell Adobe's is called. I think it's called Marketo or whatever would come into place, but so for regular you, people for for regular people who wanted to do a b testing you can segment your lists and you you do get pixel tracking in all of your emails so you can tell who opens and what they click so i mean there's no category in the menu called a b testing but you could easily have two campaigns sent to different segments that you could compare results to um so yeah it's I, I, like you said, if you're a huge brand, I'm sure you have your reasons for going with the big guys. Right. The rest of us, Sandy rules. That's awesome. I don't have anything to compare it to, though. I don't know what you're talking about with like Octopus and stuff like that. It was called Email Octopus, and they've changed their pricing, but it's a similar type of thing where basically it's a front end for SDS and they're trying to kind of take on um, MailChimp. Um, but, but it's, it's a software as a service thing. What I do like about Cindy is the fact that it's a self-hosted thing because we don't see that very often anymore. Um, either like that's like, I, I always think back about, um, you know, the, um, uh, uh, Sean Inman who made like, like mint and fever and things like that. Like I loved those, those apps, but those things don't really exist anymore. People tend to just make software as a service sort of stuff, which is fine. Uh, but I, I like when there is kind of a self-hosted option that you have a lot more kind of, you know, uh, control over and that, and that is, seems more reasonable. So that's, that's cool. There's uh there's a Mac app called whoosh W H O O S H. That is kind of like the most bare bones SES implementation you'll find. Uh, you import, a CSV into like not just hosted, but like a local app that will, (laughs) will spit out in, in batches through SES, uh, your, your batch email. But I always found it a bit, uh, a bit too bare bones. 
Yeah, I'm looking at that now, and that definitely does seem a bit too bare bones. I mean, the thing is, is that I think that if you're willing to go through the the stuff with your, you know, DKIM and SPF and all the stuff records, you know, with your setup for SES, if you're willing to kind of roll up your your sleeves and do some of that stuff, which I think Cindy does a lot of that kind of for you or whatever, I feel like um, that seems like it's a good solution. So, how much time do you have today? I've got time. Okay. My girlfriend is going to be home in five minutes, but I really want to talk about this tab FS. Yeah. Let's let, let's do it. Tell us about this. Okay. So tab FS is, I saw this on either Twitter or hacker news, but it is a Chrome extension. It's pretty great. Uh, that this guy, um, Omar Rizwan made, and it basically mounts your browser tabs as a file system on your computer. And so out of the box, it supports Chrome and the Chrome variants like, you know, uh, Brave and, and uh, Edge and things like that. Um, it also supports, you know, Firefox to a lesser extent, and I, I guess could probably be converted for Safari now too. Um, and basically it maps each of your, of your um, tabs is mapped to a folder. So like you would have a folder like of your tabs, like by title where each folder would, you know, then be, you know, a link to, each thing that's open. Um, you could also like look things up by um, ID or by window or, or what extensions you're using. And then like when you go into the folder itself, it'll show you, you know, some of the different um, items within it. Like, like if you like, like the title, the URL, if there's any text that's associated with it. Uh, and you can then use this to call tabs like any other file, which I kind of like, this is one thing I was using it for. So like, if you know that you want to close all tabs, but certain ones, you could do that. Or if you want to, you know, um, save um, text of, of all the tabs to a file, if you want to run scripts, if you want to get images, it's pretty impressive. And, and there's a bunch of stuff on his to-do list, um, which uh, still, uh, you know, uh, will be coming, you know, so that you could import data or watch expressions or, or, you know, live edit a running web, running web page like that's um, um, all um, on the to-do list. But, but right now, you know, you can grab images, you can run scripts, you can like, for instance, you know, retrieve what music it's playing on YouTube or whatever. Um, I, I haven't even scratched the surface of everything you can do with it, except to say that it's, it's pretty cool. And I like the concept of just being able to basically see what, every tab I have open and then interface with it in a terminal where I can do things like, okay, I, I want to close all of these tabs or even open a new tab, you know, from a terminal. Um, I, I, I don't hate it. I, I, I like it. Yeah. So like the idea behind it is insanely cool. I don't see it being something I would build like a lot of automation around because it seems fragile. But yeah. like, I mean, it does things like every folder, every so every tab gets a folder, then inside that folder, there's like an HTML file for the page and a test text file that and this is I'm reading this from the web page. I haven't tried this, but apparently you could copy the text of all open tabs in a shell script and do whatever yep. you wanted with it. Yep. This is, it's crazy. You can run scripts from the shell in the browser. Yeah, no, this is nuts. I, I, it's brilliant. 
I can't imagine. Uh, this would be, I, I would have to be manic for a while to pull something like this off. I have to try this out though. Yeah, you definitely have to try it out. I mean, I, I haven't played, I've only played with it a little bit to just kind of see, you know, um, like what I could kind of do with it. And I was impressed and, and it's interesting because already, you know, um, people have, have been submitting, you know, pull requests and stuff and, and doing more things with it. And I really feel like that is interesting. Um, somebody had this as a suggestion, which I like, which is to make, you know, bookmarks accessible um, via TabFS. And, and I like that idea a lot um, because if I could, you know, directly interface with, with a bookmark list, you know, directly from that, um, you know, shell interface would be cool. Uh, I don't know. I just thought it was really neat. It was one of those things I saw it and I, I was excited to talk to you about it because like, this is something that Brett would like to take uh, you know, would like to play with you know all those w when you click enough zoom meetings how you get all those leftover zoom uh yep. tabs this sure would do. let you run from the command line you could run rm mm -hmm. mount slash tab slash by title slash star zoom star and it would close all those tabs for you sure could <laughs> that's cool yeah and that i mean that is the sort of thing that you could script where if there were certain things you always want to close yeah you know you could script that or even just make a text expander. Well, I, I mean, it. I have an Apple script that does that for me, but yeah, sure. I'm, I got to test this out with Firefox, see if it actually works. Yeah. Cause I'm all Firefox now. Oh, really? Oh, really? I, huh. I, if, if I didn't need it for testing websites, I would delete Chrome entirely. I don't use it at all anymore. Yeah, I use Edge um, because I find that that is like a good mix of compatibility and then not feeling totally um, uh, creepy. Um, and but, you work for Microsoft. Well, I do work at Microsoft, so that is definitely you know uh, <laughs> not uh, a, a, a like false part of it's not. Well, it is kind of a small part of it because I do actually genuinely like it. It's one of those things that even aside from my work stuff, I would do. Weirdly, I don't think that my work stuff would work on Firefox, at least on on Mac, there are issues on Windows, I think it's okay. But on fire, for whatever reason, there's something with some sort of way that Firefox implements a protocol that our, our work stuff doesn't like it's stupid. But Safari is fine. Uh, all the Chrome variants are fine. Um, but no, that's interesting that you're all in on Firefox. Yeah, it's so much faster than Chrome. And so much less CPU and memory. Which I think is important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the thing that the it was Workona. Have you have you used Workona? That's the plugin that I was using on Chrome, and it was the one reason I couldn't leave Chrome because Workona was only available for Chrome. No, I, I haven't used Workona. I'm looking at this now, but this does actually seem like something that is completely my shit. It is the best tab manager for people that have hundreds of tabs open at a time. It is the ultimate yep. way to organize kind of like sessions and be able to switch between sessions and close sessions and bookmark within sessions. It's awesome. And it's finally available for Firefox and they have indicated Safari coming soon. Um, but yeah, whether you're on Firefox or Chrome, Workona is definitely worth a look. That's cool. Uh, yeah, um, I, I just went into their website and and they immediately were like, it's for Edge too. And I was like, okay, because yep. that's the browser I'm in. Um, do you just use the the free version? Um, they I don't think they actually have a paid version yet. Okay. 
they they talk about like it coming soon and when it does i'll probably pay for it just out of respect for how awesome it's been but thus far they haven't there's nothing that is actually limited in the free version cool i don't think am i already paying for something i don't know crazy it's crazy all right well i should i should go try to empty the dishwasher before l comes home yeah that sounds like a good idea i try i do my best that's nice. That's nice. Well, Brett, uh, empty the dishwasher. Um, try to enjoy the productivity without hopefully the the manicness going to, you know, manic on you. Yeah. And yeah, hopefully uh, I'll sleep on my Helix mattress tonight. I was going to say, get some sleep. <laughs> happy New Year. Oh, yeah. Happy 2021. Yeah. Get some sleep. All right. Get some sleep, Brett. The system is going down low.